Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. From the creator of The Bright Sessions comes a new fiction podcast for all ages. When a fellow student vanishes, Max starts to look into the disappearance. Her investigation draws her deep into the dark woods around Hastings and even deeper into the secrets and lies that course through the veins of this sleepy town. This new YA mystery from writer-director Lauren Shippen is an audio drama with heart and wit that involves the audience in a way no fiction podcast ever has. Listen to Maxine Miles on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Conquer your New Year's resolutions with the Before Breakfast podcast. In each bite-sized daily episode, you'll learn how to make the most of your time with practical tools to help you feel less busy and get more done. Listen to Before Breakfast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Emmy Olea. On this podcast, I'm taking you on a search. A search for love. Emmy, 24, hardworking Latina. But there were other reasons I felt like I couldn't always be myself. My mom's in prison. This is Crumbs, my love story. It's a show about the things we settle for and the bits of ourselves that make us who we are. Listen to Crumbs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Ricky Gervais. You probably know me from the UK version of The Office or The Office, as we call it in the UK. Hello, and welcome back to The Office Deep Dive. I am your host, Brian Baumgartner. Today, you will get to listen to my conversation with the one and only, one of my comedy heroes, Ricky Gervais. 
Ricky was the co-creator of the British version of The Office, along with Stephen Merchant, who we spoke to last week. And Ricky, in addition to creating the show, also played David Brent, the British counterpart and the inspiration for Michael Scott, who was somehow possibly even more cringy than Michael was. I didn't think it was possible either, but only Ricky himself could pull that off. Now, obviously, Ricky is a very, very busy man. And when I interviewed him, he was doing a ton of press for another show he created called Afterlife, which I am obsessed with that show. I absolutely love it. Everyone, you should go and watch it if you haven't. Um, But Ricky was doing so many TV appearances at the time that when I spoke to him, he thought that this was another video interview, which it, it was not. So here I am. I'm lounging in. I'm in my sweatpants. And Ricky is looking sharp. He's looking camera ready. He's looking Gervais sexy is how I like to call it. Um, So just keep that image in your head as you listen. Um, Anyway, I am totally psyched that I got a chance to talk to him. And I so appreciate him making the time for us. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the incomparable Ricky Gervais. Bubble and squeak, I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning left over from the night before. Um, do you know what we're doing here? Isn't it a podcast about the history of the uh office yeah so like the the 10 second version is basically the office uh, american version since 2017 uh it's the number one streaming show in the world it has over 135 billion minutes that have been streamed in essentially two years and so what we're doing is going back and trying to figure out why this has happened um, yeah, well, I, I mean, it's a testament to all the hard work, hard work that went into it, and the writing and the acting. The fact that it's about everyday people and about everything. Exactly. All right, I'm just going to start at the beginning, and I'll ask you questions. So, what were the what were the influences that had you and you know Stephen talked to me a little bit about you know how you guys got to know each other and you hired him as as your assistant at a radio station. But what were some of the influences that you guys had? Well, it goes back before that. It goes back before that. I had David Brent as a character, um, you know, a few years before that. In fact, I worked in an office for like 10 years. And obviously that's the biggest influence, real life, being part of it, of a working office. And, you know, you start noticing that the fact that you're thrown together with random people and you have to get along. So, you know, that was one thing. Um, coupled with that, throughout the 90s, I'd watched a lot of those docu-soaps that were happening here where ordinary people got their 15 minutes of fame. Um, there was one called Airline and right. Airport and, you know, all, all the, you know, the hotel. And sort of they'd make celebrities out of these normal people because they were just ordinary people, but they were funny and at work. And 
And of course, now fame's a different beast. Now they get an agent and they try and get their own game show and make the most of it. And you know, um, but then it was sort of it was they were quite quaint. But I I did notice that people had started to be obsessed with fame in the nineties, and of course that's just got worse and worse right. and worse until it sort of eats itself. So those were the those were the sort of big themes. An ordinary person getting his one shot of fame, wanting to be famous. You know, if you take away that it was a fake documentary, it doesn't make much sense because you'd say, well, why is David Brent acting like that? Oh, he wants to be famous. He wants to be discovered. He wants to be loved. He needs a hug. You know, so right. so it was a bit, it was a, we weren't spoofing the genre, but the fact that it was meant to be a documentary, you know, is 50% of the show before you start writing the sitcom. And, um, so how, mu- how much of the comedy comes from it being a, a documentary? Well, you've got to believe this is a real person who wants to be famous. So you've got to really believe that um, you're eavesdropping almost. You're, you're looking on someone's life because if you start thinking about, you know, it's, it's written, anything can happen. So you have to try and make the ordinary extraordinary. And once you realize that David Brent just wants to be discovered and become famous and needs a hug, it, it all seems to make sense, really. And from a personal point of view, I wanted it to, to be a, more about body language, not just acting right. and saying the lines. I wanted it to be, you know, people notice things. Like, I, I hated it in um, drama or comedy where someone would hang up the phone and then talk to themselves, you know, like go, Mm, he doesn't usually call on a Tuesday. Right. So you have to find a way of showing someone was worried or lying. And, you know, you do that by the guy sort of not looking at you and then flicking his eyes at the camera. Or, you know, you, you had to somehow act like you would if you were being filmed and being caught out. Right. And so there was, there was lots of reminders that this was a fake documentary. Because otherwise, it just wasn't that special or interesting. It, it's there'd be no reason to be making a, you know a sitcom where these people were acting like that unless it was because one of them sort of wanted to be discovered and famous so it really was about you know tv eating itself it was about people the beginning of this new narcissism this beginning of people doing anything you know living their life like an open wound just doing anything and and that was the beginning of bad behavior being rewarded you know, as soon as people thought, well, I made, a, I made an absolute prat of myself on television, but they've invited me on a new program to talk about it. <laughs> you know, it's right. sort of, oh, okay. And then people start, you know, with, with people that would break the law and then write a book. You know, so that was the, the 90s. I, I, I saw that a lot. But apart from that, it was, it was still about people. It was still about people being randomly thrown together and getting along, you know, and, and, and conflict, but uh, the, the fact that it was a fake documentary and, and one person in particular wanted to come out of this famous because he was looking for something, he was searching for something, you know, that was a very, a very big part of it. Yeah. It's interesting. You, you talk about behavior, right? And that so much of the comedy comes from that. Greg Daniels shared with me that he would send his writers down to the set to just observe the actors, because you can't write people's behavior. You can't write 
their body posture. You can't write that stuff. And so to really observe for the writers on the American office to actually observe the actors and the characters in their setting, because so much of the humor came from that. Yeah. And uh, that's because uh, obviously in real life, so much communication is nonverbal, you, you know, just someone being, as I said, someone lying, they don't look at you. They touch their face. They, when they're nervous, they touch their own head. You know, Brent kept fiddling with his tie. He wasn't quite comfortable being in charge. The way he, uh, he convulsed and giggled to show that he wanted to be one of the gang. And, you know, you're, you're right that if we hadn't shot a little pilot showing the character, it was like a couple of years before we did the actual thing. I went back to the office I used to work in and I had like friends who still work there that I, we used as extras. So it looked very hyper real. Right. But it, they also had to see what I meant. If I, if I have said, oh, this is a character, he's quite boring, really, and quite desperate to be loved. He doesn't say anything funny. He, he screws up jokes, in fact. And when he makes a joke, no one laughs. <laughs> and then he touches his tie and looks at the camera. They think, what is this? <laughs> this you know, just doesn't jump off the page. Right. Um, it, it was a performance piece, initially. It was, it was about behavior and uh, about a man who was doing stuff to be loved and famous. And deep down, he wanted to be popular. And he thought being famous would, that would be a shortcut to it. And, you know, he, he threw everything. He, you know, he wanted to be a philosopher and a teacher. He wanted to be cool. He wanted to be sexy. He wanted to be funny. He wanted to be all those things that he wasn't quite. And that is comedy. It's most basic, particularly in sitcom. A sitcom is about an average guy or gal, an, an average person who's trying to do something they're not equipped to do. And that's what we're laughing at, the blind spot. So I just made David Brent so about the blind spot. Right. But it was so it was so obvious and cringy what we were trying to say with this man. He was delusional. And that in itself was about people who wanted to be famous because in the 90s, there were people, as I said, there were these people in, you know, quaint docu-soaps just getting on with their life and being discovered and having their 15 minutes and that was it. But then all these talent shows started. And how many times have you seen people on a talent show crying, going, please, I just want this, vote for me. Yeah. I just want this. <laughs> we want to go, well, what's that got to do with me? Right. Why are you, what, what's that got to do with us? What, why do we care whether you want to be famous just because you want it? Well, what are you going to do for it? What, what, have you, what effort have you put in? You know? yeah, right. And then <laughs> it wasn't even talent shows. Then it was just people um, being famous for being famous yes. and doing anything to be famous, you know? Or being a so, housewife, uh, it, it, yeah. Sorry? I said being a housewife, right? Like suddenly being a housewife, Beverly Hills or whatever. Like, yeah, it's... Yeah, exactly. But but just just people, you know, and then it got to be that the producers are in on it. People would say, let me go in Big Brother and I promise I'll cause trouble, start a fight, take my clothes off. And the producers said, okay, you're in. It was these, it was honestly, it was these contrived things. People, you know, you watch shows like The Apprentice and these people, they say anything to get on with the blessing of the producer that wants to see conflict. You know, I'll go in there, I'll put the cat among the pigeons. I'm a man who will steamroll at anyone who gets in my way. I say what I think. I ruffle feathers. 
and the producers are going, well, great, let's do it. Yeah, let's, let's. And, and suddenly there was, there was this culture of misbehavior that was being re rewarded. But I think that it was just the start of it when I came with David Brent. It was just, you know, and as I say, he was mainly, before television, before docu-soaps, he was mainly just a Frankenstein of those guys you meet growing up, you right. know, your elders who should know better, your teachers who sometimes embarrass themselves, your first boss who was an idiot. And it's, it's someone behaving when they should know better. And that's why it was important that he was the boss, really, because if he wasn't the boss, he could be an idiot. And sometimes sitcoms made the, diff, you know, the, the mistake of they, they got that right and then they went on holiday. And on holiday, it doesn't matter so much because people can behave badly on holiday. <laughs> so you need that restriction. You need that authority that he's undermining. You know, it has to be someone who shouldn't be behaving like this because they should be a role model and they should know better. So all those things were put in the mix. And the big theme of it as well was uh, men as boys and women as grown-ups because there was also... Uh, a I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. A PC culture that I saw come in where people were taught what to say and do, but they didn't really mean it. So guys like him, they knew that they couldn't be sexist upstairs because they you know they get in trouble with hr and they talked a good talk and they talked about sexism misogyny and racism but deep down they hadn't changed and they could get away with that in the warehouse
So Brent was caught between two worlds because he wanted to be loved by everyone. He wanted to be a lad downstairs with a warehouse, but then he had to behave properly in front of his boss. <laughs> right. So it was a man who was caught. He was caught between two worlds. He wanted to say terrible things, but the camera was rolling. He wanted to be one of the guys, but his boss was watching. So this was a man who wasn't comfortable with himself because he wasn't being honest with himself. He wasn't being honest because he didn't. He just wanted to hand out a business card that said, great bloke, just laugh at my jokes. But <laughs> life isn't that easy. <laughs> It's a hard time for hiring, so you need a hiring partner built for hard times. That's Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed, because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive. Offer valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Colleen Witt. Join me, the host of Eating While Broke podcast, while I eat a meal created by self-made entrepreneurs, influencers, and celebrities over a meal they once ate when they were broke. Today, I have the lovely AJ Crimson, the official princess of Compton, Asia. Kidding, and Asia. This is The Professor. We're here on Eating While Broke, and today I'm going to break down my meal that got me through a time when I was broke. Listen to Eating While Broke on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Did you know that on the day Dr. King was shot, the all-black security detail normally assigned to him was called off? They are the ones who would not allow him to stay at any hotel with balconies. That security union was reassigned. There was a man there who had just gone in and had contract on my life that I was to go home. Did you know that on the day Dr. King was shot, Two black firemen stationed across the street and one black police detective who was surveilling King were all taken off the job. What was the emergency that caused you to be moved to another fire station? Sure, there was no emergency. Chief Wallace, did you ever ask what this was all about? Yes. And then what were you told? Told that I had been threatened. This is the MLK Tapes. The first episodes are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Do you remember uh, the first time you met Ben Silverman? Yes, I do. I was walking down the street <laughs> in London. I think I was going to see my agent, and the phone rang, um, and he said, "Hi, it's Ben Silverman. You don't know me. I want to. I want to remake The Office for America." And I went, "Okay, all right." He said, "Can we meet up?" He said, "I'm in town." I went, "Right." He said, where are you? I'll come to you. I'll jump the cab. I went, okay. And I looked up and I said, right. I'm right outside Starbucks in Wardour Street. And he went, wait there. I'll be there in 15 minutes. And he jumped in a cab. He got, I'd never met anyone like him. He came and found me because obviously he knew what I'd look like because he'd watched The Office. And um, he talked to me and I said, well, listen, let me introduce you to my agent to get the ball rolling. And I took him in. Um, to see Duncan Hayes, who was my uh, UK, still is my UK agent, and that, and that was the beginning of it. And then I can't remember all the details or all the phone calls, but I think the next big step was we sort of audition showrunners, and we saw some amazing ones from my favourite programmes of all time. We uh, we chose Greg, and I think we chose Greg, not just because of his body of work, which was as good as anyone's, and he was a nice chap, but I think I think it was because he was the only one that brought up that he thought it was a love story. That was very important to me, the, the love story. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to I never thought of it was, you know, just a sitcom. You know, you, traditionally, sitcoms were, as I say, an ordinary guy getting into capers and ending up back at square one. And there wasn't, there wasn't really romance, but, you know, we stole that from America because, uh, you know, and, and movies, because, you know, there was always a love interest in movies and a lot of American shows had more romance and love interest than, than ours. That was usually about a grumpy middle-aged man. So we, we liked that. And then I can't remember what order this, this was in, but, I think it was the Golden Globes where we won for The Office and I won Best Comedy Actor. Yes. I think that was the same week that we went to Ben Silverman's office. And I don't know if it was before and after, but then Ben and Greg came to London. I, th I think that was nearer the time when we were very getting very close to actually starting production. And uh, we worked out the translation. What was Slough in America? You know, what was the equivalent of this? And what was the equivalent of that? And do we have this? And what we almost did like a, a blueprint to, you know, just Americanizing stuff. Right. Uh, and then we started, then we started auditions and, and that was it. I do remember at one point, I think before auditions or when we were thinking of looking for, you know, the David Brent. And I think Ben Silverman called me and said, why don't you play him? And I said, well, what would be the point of that? I did my you bit. Did it. Now I want to rest. Now I want some, I want some other schmuck to do 200 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> and, but mainly my re apart from the fact that I was lazy and I was terrified of being, working hard for seven years, I said, no, this should be, this should be made by Americans for Americans. And I was flattered that they even let us be as involved as we were. But, you know, it really took off 
when they started making their own show. You know, the first episode was basically a, a remake. Right. But then it just got further and further away. And, you know, by the end, it, yeah, it was, it was its own show. And I remember that people were scared because The Office was such a media darling, uh, you know, to a few Americans. Even at its peak, I remember The Office in America, uh, uh, the, uh, our version. I remember it was the biggest show on uh, BBC America, and it had something like 1.1 million right. viewers. Right, right, right. And uh, Ben Silver was saying, listen, there's a lot of people that haven't seen this that won't be prejudiced. But, of course, I remember he, he was worried about the press saying this is a, you know, this we love the original. Um, and uh, he came up with a really good thing. When they were saying, why would you do a remake of this? The, the original was perfect. He said, well, why I wouldn't, I wouldn't make a film of a shitty novel. I'd make a film of the best novel I could find. And I thought that was such a clever counter. But of course we want a remake of something that's really good. Why would <laughs> we do a remake of something that was terrible? That was shitty. Um, right. And then soon, you know, people forgot that there was original. Some people don't even know there's an original. To, to most Americans, that they've no idea that this is a remake and they don't care. And, you know, and I imagine most people who love the American office, they prefer it to the, the British version. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. So, which is a great position to be in for me. I remember once, it was after syndication, and someone, someone on Twitter sent me a, a tweet that said, the American version 
of the office is so much bigger and better than yours. How does that make you feel? And I sent back, fucking rich. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I don't think you had any problem with the success of the American version of The Office. No, I was, you know, um, but I remember also early days, it was an okay start. It was a new sitcom. I mean, it was on network TV, so it was already audacious. It was pretty out there. Yeah, and the ratings uh, were not good. It was a bit, it was a, yeah, it was a bit spiky and different, and and I think it struggled. And uh, I think we got they deferred people's wages to so it could keep going, and uh, and you know people really pulled together to try and get this going. And then I think the there was two big breaks, as I remember. One was they discovered that it was watched by the right demographic for advertising. Yes, young like, people. Even though it was only getting a few million, I think it was the highest percentage of people earning over $100,000. I think it was second to Will and Grace. And so advertisers loved it. And so the channel loved it. So there was all that behind the scenes things going on. And then Steve Carell became a huge film star. So it took off. It just got, and then it grew and grew and grew and got bigger and bigger. And it's still getting bigger and bigger. It's remarkable, remarkable. Yeah, one of my favorite Emmy moments of all time was the bit you did with Steve Carell. What do you think about the fact that he never won an Emmy? Didn't he? Never. Um, how many did he get nominated for? He must have got nominated every year. Uh, he probably got six or seven, but he never won. Wow! Wow! Oh. In your face, Steve Carell. Um, (laughs) Wow. So was I up against him then when I won? I won an Emmy for my performance in Extras, and um, I wasn't there. Yes. And and that's the one where um, John Stewart gave it to Steve Carell. Yes. Also, one of them's my fault that he didn't win. Now I feel bad. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that was funny. That bit. I just I bumped into him on the red carpet and said, I've got a, an idea. If you could, uh, um, I'm going to come and get my Emmy back and you've stolen it. And he, he just went, do whatever you want. And he just played it so, so deadpan and so great. And it was just lovely when he bent down and gave it back to me. <laughs> um, he's great. I think, I, 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 you know, I have said this. Uh, many times interview, never to his face. I always wind him up in public. Obviously, that's my job. Right. But um, he is such a brilliant, hardworking, conscientious. He's just a lovely man who is is great. He's so versatile. And then we got to see him that he was a a dramatic actor after all this was over. Um, I mean, we really. We really lucked out when we got Steve Carell to be in our sitcom, didn't we? We sure did. Yeah. He's one of the best. Yeah. Because, you know, he can be, you know, he can be snide and rude and unaware. And somehow you still have that feeling where you you just want to love him. I know. I know. It is. Yeah, he's um, he's remarkable, but I still beat him at the Emmys. Let's not forget that. <laughs> <laughs>
Gangster Chronicles podcast is a weekly conversation that revolves around the underworld. From criminals and entertainers to victims of crime and law enforcement, we cover all facets of the game. Gangster Chronicles podcast doesn't glorify or promote illicit activities. We just discuss the ramifications and repercussions of these activities. Because after all, if you play gangster games, you are ultimately rewarded with gangster prizes. Our Heart Radio is number one for podcasts, but don't take our word for it. Find the Gangster Chronicles podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Emmy Olea. On this podcast, I'm taking you on a search. A search for love. Emmy, 24, hardworking Latina, seeks cool, down-to-earth guy. Swipe, swipe, swipe. It's hard out there for a girl. To find Mr. Right, I've had to meet a lot of Mr. Wrongs. He'd invite me over to have dinner with his family. I knew he didn't tell them that I was transgender. Dating as a trans woman can be complicated, but there were other reasons I felt like I couldn't always be myself. He's asking me things about my family. Like, my mom's in prison. My grandmother was arrested for working with the Mexican drug cartel. This is Crumbs, my love story. It's a show about the things we settle for and the bits of ourselves that make us who we are. Listen to Crumbs as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, guys? I'm Rashad Bilal. And I am Troy Millings, and we are the hosts of the Earn Your Leisure podcast, where we break down business models and examine the latest trends in finance. We hold court and have exclusive interviews with some of the biggest names in business, sport and entertainment, from DJ Khaled to Mark Cuban, Rick Ross, and Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, our alumni list is expansive. Listen in as our guests reveal their business models, hardships, and triumphs in their respective fields. The knowledge is in-depth, and the questions are always delivered from your standpoint. We want to know what you want to know. We talk to the legends of business, sports, and entertainment about how they got their start, and most importantly, how they make their money. Earn Your Leisure is a college business class mixed with pop culture. Want to learn about the real estate game? Unclear as how the stock market works? We got you. Interested in starting a trucking company or a vending machine business? Not really sure about how taxes or credit work? We got it all covered. The Earn Your Leisure podcast is available now. Listen to Earn Your Leisure on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, were you pleased with how Greg Daniels adapted the show? I thought it was great. I just thought it was great how dense it was, how fast everything was, how many plot lines and how written it was. I mean, I, I know there was, you know, a lot more writers, but it, I, I just thought he held it together and he kept the heart and he kept the love story. It was, it was as funny as anything needed to be. It looked great, and it, it just got better and better. And um, I was so proud of of him and everyone, and you know, and and Steve Carell. And then it was a joy for me to pop up in a couple, just for fun, like I would have, like I would have in my favorite show. I did a Simpsons, I did a Family Guy, I did Sesame Street, and this was like this show that I, 
you, you know, you forget that it came from an idea you had 10 years before. But it was this monster. And I felt flattered that they invited me to do a cameo in it. So that's how good it was that I felt flattered that I was invited to be in this show. That's that, crazy. That's how good I thought it was. Oh, that's that's crazy. I just watched last night. I had somebody send me those two clips and uh, you and Steve at the elevator banks doing your Chinese impression. And, you know, I mean, that was completely ad libbed, but, but we just bumped into and I, I just thought because it was the time when people were thinking of, you know, I think it was already out there that Steve was leaving, wasn't it? Yes. And so. I dropped in this little false thing for the fans where I said, any jobs going? And I just thought that was a, a funny little tease. <laughs> <laughs> you, the, I mean, your show started with the idea of redundancy, right? And then in the American version, it really went on, unlike anything that was happening in American television, like dealing with serious issues like race, homosexuality, health care, you know, et cetera. And, and as we talked about before, like that, that un-PC or the, the woke culture, as they call it now. Well, exactly. But, you know, the thing is that, again, it's important that people know that the difference between the subject of a joke and the actual target. And the target was actually people pretending to be all those good things, but not quite getting it right. We were taking a stab at this, this false notion of just pretending to, to have like equality and fairness, but not really. And, you know, we did it to a certain extent in our version. And certainly David Brent, you know, was, was fascinated with, with difference. And he, was, he had that terrible white middle-class angst about anyone thinking he was sexist or racist and so he overcompensated he was basically a good person but he overcompensated he panicked around different you know around disability or <laughs> color or anything like that yes so that was funny because and we're la we're laughing we're laughing at that white angst that's what we're laughing at right. um and of course people getting it wrong you know he's funny because he's getting it wrong He's trying to do the right thing, but he's not equipped. He's not equipped to do it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. One thing someone told me recently, and I, I'm sure you're aware of this, you know, American television was basically every show was set up with a, a love story, right? Here are the lovers. It's, you know, a will they, won't they, or, or a married couple. And then you have kind of the wacky boss or the wacky uncle who comes in for you know, 90 seconds of the show makes people laugh and then he goes away again. But what your show did was you inverted it, right? You made the wacky boss, the central figure of the show, which meant you had to care about him because before who cares what the wacky boss or the wacky uncle is thinking, but you put him central yeah. and you put the love story in the corner, but you make that just as important, but it makes people want to lean in and, and watch that's exactly right. I said once that people tune in for David Brent, but they stay for Tim and Dawn because there's a, a will they won't that you've got to stick around. You've got to see the result with that. There's something you want, and that's an emotional connection, which is stronger than just gag. And I see it in all forms of comedy. I see it in stand-up. You know, you, you can go and see someone who just tells a hundred killer jokes, 
and they're great. But after about 50, you're looking at your watch and there's no reason to stay. And you could pause and you could, you know, but someone shambles out and they tell you a story about the terrible day they've had and you're riveted. You can't leave. You want to know what happened. And I think that's what the love story did because we wanted to see if they got together. And I tried it a certain amount with some, you know, Brent's development because I think people eventually wanted him to be happy because I like the fact that people thought he was just awful with no redeeming features. But then you see that he's wounded too and he's looking for love and he's not a bad person. He's just been dealt a, a, a bad hand. And, you know, he made the mistake. He thought things like, being on telly would make him feel better. And, you know, he thought that popularity was as good as respect. He's just been lied to, really, by television. And I think people saw that in the end, and they saw that, actually, he wasn't, he wasn't that bad a bloke. He was all right. And everyone's wounded. Everyone's looking for love. Everyone needs a hug. And uh, I'm glad that eventually people thought of him fondly. Yeah? Yeah. It's it's crazy. This is just occurring to me now, so maybe this is a stupid idea, but you know, you talk about him just wanting fame and being, you know, in the family of say a big a big brother contestant. But in a way, David Brent actually had more reality, right? Than than a real person on one of those shows because you eventually got to see the inside of David Brent. And those guys on Big Brother, you don't ever see yeah. the inside. No, you don't. And also, what happened with something like Big Brother is it started off like a, quite a good social experiment when no one really knew how they were going to come across, not even the producers. And there was real drama. Then they started contriving it. Then they started putting in, as I said, people who were willing. They were already at their lowest there. They had nothing to lose. They had no dignity to lose. So it wasn't even particularly interesting. You know, when a load of feral people are happy to run around and fight each other and take their clothes off, you think, well, what are we watching this for? Where's the conflict? They're happy with that. There's no, do, do you see what I'm saying? There's no, there's no human interest story because it, it's like they don't care about themselves. They know what's happening. They've gone in there to get 15 minutes of fame, cash in on it, sell their story to the paper and buy a house. And good luck to them. But I don't know why that it was no longer entertaining because it wasn't real. It's strangely reality. As you said, reality TV became less real than, than a well scripted drama about reality. And so, you know, that's what happened. I think over that time. What are you most proud of, of the legacy of the office? Oh, that's so difficult. That's so difficult to say. I'd say, it was the first time I tried my hardest at anything. I'm very proud of that. And I got addicted to that. I was sort of this guy that would cruise around and I did well at school because I was smart. And it was almost like I, I wore it like a badge of honor. That I didn't need to try hard. And I realized that that's not a good attitude. And then, you know, and then I tried to be become a, a pop star and failed miserably and my mistake was wanting to be a pop star and I should have wanted to be a songwriter right and so when I came to this later in life I thought I want to be a writer director I want to be famous for something if, if fame if I'm going to be an actor and be famous I better be famous for something I better do something I'm proud of and uh right in the office I knew at the time and I knew in retrospect that 
that was the first time I'd really tried my hardest at anything. And um, it was a great feeling. And I don't think you can have success without hard work. You know, if you didn't work hard, it loses a bit of its success. So that's what I'm proudest of, trying my hardest. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it, I mean, you know, look, everybody who was involved in the American version owes everything to you, you know, working your hardest on something. Um, I'll just ask you one more thing that, that at the end of the American office, it ends to talking head by the character of Pam. And she is talking about, you know, she thought it was weird that people who work in a paper company would be the subject of a documentary. Like, why would anyone want to watch us? But she said, you know, in retrospect, she feels like that they were a really good subject for documentary because there's there's beauty in ordinary things. And isn't that kind of yeah. the, isn't that kind of the point? And that was what Greg's perspective was. That's exactly right. Um, I've always been fascinated with trying to make the ordinary extraordinary, just trying to take a tiny little story that you wouldn't think anyone's interested in and and making people interested in it. And I remember when I was at school, I used to write and my teacher would say, yeah, it's a bit melodramatic. And I realized that I was taking it from telly and films and, and he kept going, oh, a bit melodramatic, right? And this really annoyed me. So I decided to try and do the most boring story I could right? Just to annoy my teacher. I was like 13. And so what I did was my mum used to look after this old lady who lived near us. And when I was bored, I'd go around, I'd watch my mum sort of make her tea and clean up and that. And it was boring for a kid. And I thought, I know what I do. I'll write about that, right? right. Just to teach this teacher a lesson. And I remember just writing exactly what was happening. And I handed it in, and I got it back, and the teacher had given me an A and said, much better. And I almost didn't get it. I didn't. I did. Because <laughs> um, I think he knew what I was doing, but he also knew what I was saying was the truth, and that I'd, I'd done it from real life, as opposed to, a cop show on telly. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. And then I suddenly realized that ordinary life is the most fascinating thing we have. Everyone's life is fascinating to them. And, and if you look into it, it can be fascinating to everyone because it's, it's unique and real and it happened and it was a life. And I think that's beautiful. And then, you know, I've taken that on my new series, Afterlife. It's about the mundane things in life, you know, saving you. They're distractions, and it's true. It's just true. Everyone thinks that you know what their their life's a bit boring and mundane, but it's not. It's it's fascinating. Well, I was not going to be overly nice to you until the very end, but your ability through all of your shows, obviously, and you as a person, your ability to find that humanity in people that you do not expect to be likable is a great gift that, you know, you've given everyone, blah, blah. I don't want to sound too nice, but you know what I'm saying? I, I love it. Thank you very much. That's, that is, that's lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really Cheers. appreciate it. Yes. And good luck uh, with Afterlife. I cannot wait 
to watch it. And, Thank you, man. And enjoy a drink on me tonight. I'm going to have one now. I'm sure some of the residuals that, that we made, just just something that we paid champagne. for. Okay, it's there you nothing go. Nothing but the, the, the greatest champagne there. all day, every day on tap. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Thanks, cheers, man. All right, cheers. See you soon. All right, bye-bye. Cheers, bye. That is a wrap on Ricky Gervais. Ricky, thank you so much for joining me. I hope it was worth your time. If for no other reason than to find out that Steve never won an Emmy, I'm very pleased that I could provide that level of joy for you. To the rest of you, as always, thank you so much for joining me. And don't forget to subscribe to The Office Deep Dive on your podcast app, Do Your, so that you and I can keep, well, diving deeper. I hope you have a great day and I will see you again next week. The Office Deep Dive is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Lang Lee. Our senior producer is Tessa Kramer. Our producer is Emily Carr. And our assistant editor is Diego Tapia. My main man in the booth is Alec Moore. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend Cree Bratton. And the episode was mixed by Seth Olansky. Hi, my name is Cassidy Zachary. And I am April Callahan. And we are fashion historians. Yep. And co-hosts and the creators of the podcast Dressed, the History of Fashion, which is dedicated to investigating the significance of dress from throughout history and around the world. And we are so excited to bring you a brand new season celebrating groundbreaking fashion figures and exploring the history of everything from corsets to blue jeans. Dressed, the history of fashion is available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows. New episodes drop every Tuesday and Thursday. I'm Colleen Witt. Join me, the host of Eating While Broke podcast, while I eat a meal created by self-made entrepreneurs, influencers, and celebrities over a meal they once ate when they were broke. Today, I have the lovely AJ Crimson, the official princess of Compton, Asia. Kidding, and Asia. This is the professor. We're here on Eating While Broke, and today I'm going to break down my meal that got me through a time when I was broke. Listen to Eating While Broke on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello. Hello. Hi. Oh my God, I want to come through the screen and hug you. Hey everybody, Jessica Zor here, also known as Vanessa Abrams on Gossip Girl. I am so excited to share my new podcast with you guys. It's called XOXO and it's a walk down memory lane all about Gossip Girl. I'll chat with some of the cast, crew, fans of the show, and I'm just so pumped for you guys to go on this journey with me. Hi, I'm Ed Westwick. I played Chuck Bass. Is this Michelle Trachtenberg? 
I'll never tell. Hey, I'm Taylor Momsen, and I play Jenny Humphrey. Hi, I'm Sebastian Stan, and I played Carter Payson. That was one of the reasons I liked the character Jenny so much, is that she was very relatable. The whole thing was such a joy for me to do, and I was just so thankful that people responded the way they did to what we were doing. This really was just, like, wonderful. I, like, have, like, warm feelings inside. Yeah, me too. I'm giving you air hugs. Listen to XOXO on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.